Business at Buckets, episode 56, coming right at you guys on this beautiful Tuesday evening, Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you guys for, for tuning in, liking, subscribing, uh, keeping me going here at the Business at Buckets through the first year of content, the first 50-some episodes. Uh, I hope you guys have fun plans for the Thanksgiving weekend, going to be with your loved ones, friends, family, have some good grub, and uh, just be thankful for what you have as we enter 2022. Crazy to think we're at 2022. Anyways, let's talk field supplements because as the new year comes, everyone has these great big New Year's resolutions, weight loss goals, health goals. I know my health journey is always evolving and I am thankful for my family over at Fuel Supplements. So, uh, fellas, performance is at the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you guys need counterattack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. Now let's face it, if y'all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, increase vitality inside and outside the gym with Counterattack. The misses will thank you guys for it. So don't wait, head to fieldsupplements.com and use promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off counterattack. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So, you know, holidays means holiday football in my world for sure. Holiday football, you got Christmas, you got Christmas basketball, New Year's, you got the bowl games. So uh, there's a lot going on in the headlines as Thanksgiving nears typically means coached, coaching, coaching changes in the NFL and the college landscape as well as people getting paid, people getting extended. So let's talk about some of those guys that got paid and some of those guys that got the boot. So uh, Tim Patrick for the uh, Broncos getting signed three years, $34.5 million, uh, which is really cool. A guy that's been cut, been on practice squad, moved his way up. And the Broncos really trying to stick with that uh, receiving core, the young receiving core that they have. As they signed my favorite receiver of the, uh, of the group, Cortland Sutton. He gets four years, $61 million extension with $35 million guaranteed. Well-deserved Mr. Sutton. Um, you know, at least they have some offensive weapons to keep on the team for, for the next few years. For the Eagles, Dallas Goder, uh, the South Dakota State University alum, four-year, $59 million extension. Avante Maddox with a three-year, $22.5 million uh, extension for the Eagles in the secondary as well. So, so keeping some pieces around on both sides of the ball. Uh, the Bears having some issues is Khalil Mack. He's been battling injuries, officially going to be out for the year. So they've actually signed Bruce Irvin uh, with Mack beat up. Hopefully, you know, they could get some depth, see if he gets some playing time as Bruce Irvin is a true vet around the league. Uh, Danny Trevathan out for the year as well. Big man up front is going to be tough as somehow Chicago is still kind of lingering around the playoff picture. Uh, Hayden Hurst, the, the once prominent tight end on IR. Chris Carson with the neck lingering neck issues going to be out for the year for the, for the Seahawks. Uh, Rashad Penny, DJ Dallas, Alex Collins are going to be making up uh, the moves in the backfield as the Seahawks really just trying to tread water at this moment. Uh, Bud Dupree on the IR, big-time DN uh, signing, uh, outside edge rusher signing from Pittsburgh. Me being a Steelers fan, I wasn't too sure how I felt 
I was very excited about Alex Highsmith coming in, but to pay someone that kind of money, you know, obviously we need the depth, but I didn't think that he was worth that kind of money. He's gone to Tennessee, has not had a very productive year battling injuries, uh, but he's going to be on IR. We'll be lucky probably to finish the year. The Titans also waving one of my favorite running backs of all time, AD, Adrian Peterson, AP, if you want to call him that. Um, probably the last stint that he'll have in the NFL, uh, but good to see uh, him back in, in uniform this year, even though um, it was only a couple weeks. Kevin Dotson on IR for the Steelers. The offensive line, a huge focal point for the team, uh, a unit that they're really needing to leverage to to improve. Losing the second-year lineman out of Louisville, big body, good good movement for a big guy. Going to be brutal for my Pittsburgh Steelers to overcome. The Packers also having some line issues. David Bakhtiari seems like it's he's still, even though he's been activated from the IR a few weeks out, uh, if he does play this year. And then um, from the last week's game, the Packers lose center Elgin Jenkins, who tore his ACL. So brutal moves for them as they try to keep that offense running and flowing. Uh, the Giants firing Jason Garrett. Uh, we all know Garrett from his run with the Cowboys. He will not be an offensive coordinator anymore during that Thursday night game or Monday night game yesterday. Uh, there was some film spreading around on Twitter. Some of the formations of the Giants, I think um, Orlovsky was sharing this. They had two receivers on the right, one on the left, just straight crossing routes, running into each other. It's like half your receivers are in the same spot. You know, obviously the, the playmaking wasn't happening there, so probably a good thing. Um, the Texans cut Phillip Lindsay, the once prominent running back from the Den uh, Denver Broncos, the free agent who is a fun story, the small school guy. He's going to be entering waivers. You know, the Texans has been pretty much purgatory for running backs this year, so hopefully he finds a, a place, and I think he still has some left in the tank because he still is very young. Uh, Jamal Agnew, the big-time athlete, playmaker, returner for the Jaguars on season-ending uh, IR with hip surgery. Uh, so brutal loss for the Jaguars as they don't have a lot of focal points on the offense. That was a guy that they were trying to get more and more involved. And then Taysom Hill just out there getting paid, doing all the different things that he does. He gets a four-year extension. It's almost like a hybrid con contract depending on what position he's playing. Trevor Simeon with the brutal output last week potentially will open up the door for Hill now that he's somewhat more healthy uh, to play quarterback, but he, he can get a contract anywhere from like 40 million to 95 million based on performance and what positions he plays. So yeah, lots of different movement, more injuries. I like to bring up injuries because um, I use NBC sports edge it used to be Roto world to be able to keep track. What's happening is I'm picking games. I'm putting my parlays and I'm putting my bets in. And just making predictions for the rest of the way, I think it's important when people are using, losing big-time players, right? The the Bears defense has been so good. You lose Danny Trevathan. You lose Khalil Mack. That's, you know, really depletes the unit. As a Steeler fan, you know, no Minka, no Joe Hayden, no TJ Watt. The performance just wasn't what I would expect from them, especially on a, in a primetime game. So you're able to make changes and adjustments as you go with, with the, the injuries. And then... Um, yeah, obviously noteworthy to talk about coaches in and out as well as players getting paid as well. 
So last week within my picks, I was nine and six. That puts me to a hundred wins, 65 losses on the season. Um, pretty decent season thus far. You know, it's been a, just the NFL is what it is. It's hard to pick, but I do my best. I am on the shit every day, doing the, the research, looking at the stats and trying to give you guys my knowledge. So we're going to dive into last week's game. I'll give you guys my picks for this week's game and really just kind of give the, you know, my thoughts of where the team stand. You know, is there any hope? Is there not? Where are they at? So first one was the Thursday game last week, Patriots versus Falcons. The Patriots blank the Falcons 25 to 0. The the Patriots go to 7 and 4, the Falcons 4 and 6. I mean, at this time with the Patriots being 7 and 4, um they get a play in their division. They haven't played Buffalo yet, I believe. Let me double check. It's nice in the world that we have today. There's never no missed use stat or sports data because we have this crazy thing called the internet that will give you the true answers if you are false. So they haven't played the Bills yet. So outside of the Bills, you would think they'd be put in a, in a playoff position. Right here on Business at Buckets, my season predictions, I had the Pats sneaking in the playoffs, and a lot of that had to do with the schedule, so I seem on par, on pace for that. And the Falcons, 4-6. and six. I'm not sure what I had their final record, but I had them kind of blowing things up, and I expect that to happen. Um... Matt Ryan's getting older. They don't have a true backup quarterback in, in place. Even in this game, they had Josh Rosen and Felipe Franks playing. I don't expect those guys to take over the driver seat of the Falcons. You know, not saying Matt Ryan's completely done, but the, this team doesn't have a lot of pieces moving for them except for Arthur Smith, who they got from Tennessee, the offensive guru genius, who had really put that offense on the map and uh, has, has done a lot of things within Atlanta for the lack of weapons that he has. You know, the young Kyle Pitts, you alleviate some of the the things going on with him. Obviously, Calvin Ridley with the mental issues or whatever the case is that he's not playing football still. There's just not a lot of weapons left on this team. Even they made the Swiss Army knife out of Corderell Patterson, and, and he's out. You know, should be back later this year. But really just playing for moral victories at this point. The path is, a, you know, a long way to figure out for the Falcons. And cheers to you, Falcons fans. <laughs> you know, we're going to need it. You're going to need it. Not we are. I'm not anywhere near a Falcons fan. But let's look at what was done. So Mac Jones, 22 of 26, 207 yards, a touchdown, a pick, three sacks on the day. He's playing consistent ball, Patriots formula ball, and, and it's paying off for him. Ramondre Stevenson, again, boomer sooner, baby, leading the backfield, 12 carries for 69 yards. He had two more than Damian Harris, who had 10 for 56. Um, you know, both of them right under six uh yards per carry average decent running the ball the receiving core was led by Kendrick Bourne four catches 42 yards on four targets so uh, Nelson Aguilar was the receiver that found the end zone so it's not like this offense is just destroying people down the field yes it was 25 to 0 but um, consistent ball no no mistakes is really what got the job done here for the Falcons Matt Ryan 19 and 28 153 yards two picks sacked four times before um, kind of got mercyed with Josh Rosen coming in. Quadre Olison, a practice squad signee, leading the backfield with nine carries for 34 yards. That's a 3.8 average. Not doing much better than the guys ahead of him, uh, which Wayne Gallman and Mike Davis seem to be getting flown out of the picture. The um, receiving core led by Russell Gage, 
five catches, 49 yards, as there just wasn't a lot of offense in this game all around. The Falcons' defense led by Foisati Alukin. Oluokin, I think I've said this guy's name before. It rings a bell. Um, he's been in the league since 2018. He's from Yale. He had himself a day. Uh, 10 tackles, one sack, a tackle for loss, and a QB hit to lead the Falcons. Uh, they were able to get two other sacks on Mr. Uh, Mr. Mack. And then for the Patriots, Kyle Van Noy just having a tremendous season. Eight tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, a pass defended, two QB hits, and a touchdown. Mr. Van Noy. Um, he had a pick, six. J.C. Jackson had a pick. He continues to have an amazing year. Um, always stable. Devin McCourty with a pick, and then Adrian Phillips in on the action as well. As all four of the – nope. Yeah, so four from three different quarterbacks here. Felipe Franks, one throw in the game was an interception. I did not see that, but that's a tough tough way to try to break onto the scene there. Um, for the Falcons, A.J. Trail got uh, the lone interception for them. Statistically, on the team side, the Falcons were a pitiful 2 of 11 on third down. The Patriots not doing much better against a team. Granted, it's a Thursday night game on the road. Uh, a four-win team. They were four and twelve on third down. Yardage-wise, they out-yarded the Falcons by 140. Um, the Falcons were also one of two on fourth down. Turnovers. The Patriots were plus three, uh, four to one uh, difference, and they outpossessed the Falcons by five. Again, benefit of schedule. Patriots playing Patriot ball. I am not scared of them in the playoffs. I hear a lot of talking heads on ESPN who are, you know, power ranking them in the top five. Like, oh my God, the Patriots are back. Let's just, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I think we're getting overzealous on the, the New England Patriots. And I think that uh, we need to pump the brakes there. But let's move into Sunday. This is where my fantasy week got ended. The Colts 41, the Bills 15. And... Looking at this, we know the lack of strength that the Bills' run D has been. Their run, running game in general on the other side of the ball as well. But the true st strength of the Colts is to lead through Jonathan Taylor in the backfield and let Carson play systematic, mistake-free football. And that's what was executed here. We had Carson Wentz 11-20, 106 yards and a touchdown, no sacks. Uh, the Colts won 41 to 15, moved to six and five as the, the bills dropped to six and four. Jonathan Taylor, though, you know, watching him come from Wisconsin, I knew he'd be good. I was worried about the volume of carries in college. You see these guys that have a lot of years in college, a lot of carries. You're worried about their health moving into a bigger league with bigger defenders. And I was worried about his nimbleness and injury, you know, risk of injury. Definitely shut that down, and it's really translated better than anyone could expect. But this young man, 32 carries, 185 yards. It's a 5.8 per carry average with four tutties on the day, while also getting three catches for 19 yards and an additional touchdown for a five-burger as a running back. And he's got to be a front-runner of the MVP. I know his team's pushing for it. We get Hard Knocks, the new episode of Hard Knocks tomorrow. I mean, I'll talk about that now, I guess. Um, watch the first episode of Hard Knocks. I tweeted about it. I, I enjoy the Colts. I enjoy Carson Wentz. I enjoy Jonathan Taylor and a lot of the team culture that they have. You know, a good storyline with Wentz and Frank Wright re returning. And, yeah, I enjoyed it. It uh, 
was kind of weird how they just started this week in the NFL. I wasn't sure if they're going to recap the previous weeks. They kind of just flew through that. Uh, so it really truly is just the hard knocks in the middle to the end of the season versus kind of a, a full season look at. Um, but yeah, in season look at, you know, it, it makes me want to root for the, the Colts even more. In my preseason prediction, I had them just outside of the playoff picture. I didn't expect this division to pull through many, many winners. And I didn't expect the Titans to get brutalized by injuries, whether the Colts can finish ahead of them or not. But um, it, it gives me a soft spot for them. I'm rooting for them. It, it makes me want to watch their games more. And that's really what Hard Knocks is all about, giving that good public press for the team. And this guy's got to be the got to be the main guy that we're looking at. Jonathan Taylor, have a day, sir. Have a fucking day. Uh, the team, yeah, 106 total receiving yards, so there wasn't a lot to uh, highlight here. But the leader was Mr. Jack Doyle, three catches, 30 yards. For the Bills, the high-flying Bills offense was not very high-flying. A lot of these points came in garbage time. But Josh Allen, 21-35, 206 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, was sacked once on the day. And the backfield... Under 91 yards as a unit, but this time actually led by Matt Breida resurfacing. Um, you know, when I think of Matt Breida, I think of his days in Miami, but where has he been? I think he even went to San Fran. Yep, so three or I think of his days in San Fran, he got paid in Miami and now he's in Baltimore. Uh, but he led the backfield five catches, 51 yards. That's a 10.2 average. Granted, only five carries. I'm not sure what kind of plays were drawn there. Uh, but your average of 10 per carry, like you're going to make moves. It seems like he's more of the explosive back. Singletary with three carries, Zach Moss with three. Zach Moss only had five yards on those three, and Singletary 17 yards. So it looks like he's going to start getting more of the lion's share there. And then the re the receiving core led by Dawson Knox, six catches, 80 yards on 10 targets. Although Stephon Diggs, four catches, 23 yards. He did get two tutties on the day. On the defensive side of the ball, um... The Colts only got to Josh Allen once. Not a lot of noteworthy performances for the Bills. They got no sacks, which they got to be able to work on the edge rush. They got to be able to work on stopping that run game. But for the backfield of the Colts, George Odom, Kenny Moore, the second and Zaire Franklin with interceptions on the day team stats, the Bills five of 10 on third down the Colts, eight of 12 0 for one on fourth yardage wise. The Colts out yarded the Bills by 63. They won the turnover battle 4-0 and outpossessed them by 15 minutes for the victory. So Colts, it looks like they might potentially sneak into the playoffs. ESPN has their ESPN playoff machine back, which you could basically pick the games the rest of the year and see what the playoff picture. They even implement the tie-breaking rules and everything. And it looks like a promising, uh, you know, little run to the to the season they got going on at 6-5, and five, even though they started out so, so terribly. And they played a lot of close games. They're they're a, a, they're very similar to the Patriots, in my opinion. Let's see, have they played each other? I can't remember. They have not played each other, and it doesn't. And they do. Twelve eighteen. That must be a Thursday on a Thursday night game. Hey, that, that that'll be a fun one. That will be a fun one. But let's talk about some other Sunday games. The Ravens always finding a way to win ugly, grossly, whatever kind of words you want to use. They find a way to get the job done. Uh, this one was brutal for uh, my parlay. 
But Tyler Huntley, 26-36, 219 and a pick. Uh, he was sacked six times. Welcome, Mr. Utah, to the NFL, getting your opportunity to shine. He has a lot of similarities to in his game to Lamar Jackson, although he isn't straight out of a video game. Uh, you know, that's probably why they have him as his backup quarterback. Uh, but in this game, you know, the, the Ravens go to 7-3. and three, The Bears drop to 3-7. and seven. The Bears look like they have a long road ahead of them, especially with Justin Fields getting hurt. You know, and they're not even getting their young quarterback playing time. That defense is in shambles. Yeah, they're going to have a rough end of the season, and they're really going to have to look at themselves in the mirrors of how can we mold a team around Justin and how can we keep improving the unit as a whole. Um, as they, they, they have a tough division, but the Packers with things going on next year, that's going to be interesting. The Vikings will be pretty consistent and the Lions are a long ways to go. You know, they have opportunity in that division, whereas the Ravens play in the very brutal and physical AFC North. I think they're also a very overrated team this year. I see them in, you know, the new week's power rankings as a top five team. They have one of the better records. They've won close games. There's just so many injuries. That offensive line, I think, is a weak point. Uh, the defense has a lot of energy a lot of injuries. So I, I feel like they're missing a lot of key pieces. Obviously that running game is incomplete, even though, you know, they're giving Devonta Freeman, 16 carries Latavius Murray, 10. I mean, these are some old dudes, but they're finding ways to win. I want to be afraid of them in the playoffs. If they make it, I think they're going to have a tough second half of the schedule. And I think that they're going to come down to earth for sure. But the rest of Baltimore again. Yep. Devonta Freeman, 16 carries 49 yards. That's a very, meager 3.1 per carry average. He did get the end zone once. Meanwhile, Latavius Murray, 10 carries, 32 yards. It's a 3.2 average. Why they live through these older dudes and aren't giving Tyson Williams opportunities still blows my mind, but here we are. Uh, Mark Andrews led the receiving core, eight catches, 73 yards as Hollywood Brown was out. I expected Rashard Bateman to really fill up three catches, 29 yards. So that offense wasn't moving the ball. A lot of the points came late. Looks like, yeah, they scored 10 in the fourth quarter to make the difference. Um, for the Bears, Andy Dalton, 11-23, 201 yards, two touchdowns, a sacked once. Looks very similar to his lines in Cincinnati. And David Montgomery back, he got 14 carries for 58 yards. It's a 4.1 average. I'm sure they'll get him more involved. Uh, but at this point, you know, you, you got to make sure that him just coming back from injury doesn't get re-injured heading into the next season. Uh, Darnell Mooney with the boom show really taken off. As Allen Robinson was out, he was able to surface. The guy got 16 carries, only five catches. Are those misses by the quarterbacks or him? You know, I wasn't eyes glued to this game that morning. I was watching uh, other games. Uh, so definitely some issues there, but he did end up with 121 yards and a touchdown. He had a 60-yard reception on the long ball. Uh, Marquise Goodwin over 104 catches, 104 yards and a touchdown. He's bursting onto the scene. I mean, this guy, 31 years old, right? He's been a little bit of everywhere, still putting up yards, still got the speed. Bravo, Mr. Goodwin. On the defensive side of the ball, well, Justin Fields did lose a fumble. Um, Tyus Bowser, big stud on the Ravens defense with two uh, sacks on the day. For the Bears, Raquan Smith just having to put the team on his back. 17 tackles, 13 of those solo, two tackles for a loss on the day. And Robert Quinn, the big man in the middle, three and a half sacks. Those boys causing havoc. He also had four QB hits. Uh, Tayshawn Gibson with the lone interception on the day. Team stats, the Bears, two of 11 on third. 
broken offense. The Ravens, though, 7-16, pretty impressive. They went or got their one fourth down attempt. They converted while the Bears were two for three on fourth down. Yardage-wise, the Bears out-yarded the Ravens by 60, but and both teams had one turnover, but the Ravens outpossessed the Bears by 17 minutes in the victory. What a barn burner of a game this was. The Browns 13, the Lions 10. You know, we don't have to say much about the Lions. They're winless. They tied the Steelers. Um, Tim Boyle got the start here. It looks like Jared Goff is a game-time decision for Thanksgiving. You know, we all really want to watch Jared Goff on Thanksgiving with the Lions. No, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to be super stoked about on their team. You know, they have another new head coach. They do have some young playmakers, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, uh, to build around. But they have a long ways to go on defense. And, yeah, that division's going to be pretty open next year, so you never know. For the Browns, you know, everyone was so hyped on them. Granted, they have had some injuries. Um, I just knew that the Browns would brown. You know, they would do what they typically do. Um, the OBJ thing does not surprise me at all that he is not there. And, you know, really this team is just a team that can run the ball well and play pretty physical. So if you make mistakes, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, but they barely beat the Brown, or the Lions. For the Lions offense, Tim Boyle, 15-23, 77 yards, Really was cruising the ball through the air. Um, two interceptions and a 34.1 rating. While DeAndre Swift had more yards, almost doubled his quarterback's yards. On 14 carries, he had 136 yards. It's a 9.7 average. He had a long run of 57 yards and a touchdown. Um, I had this guy in fantasy. I drafted him. I thought highly of him, but I was worried about injuries. They weren't giving him the bell cow status. They kept giving Jamal Williams carries. So I was a little confused what to do, and I definitely regret it. Jamal did get seven carries, but only 11 yards. That was it. The uh, receiving core led by the TJ Hawkinson, six catches, 51 yards. The Browns, what an ugly performance here. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 15 of 29, 176 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. He was sacked for a 53 rating. You know, is this going to be the long-term franchise quarterback? At this point, I would say highly doubtful. Um, I am rooting for the guy, but he is just beat up. That team isn't really setting him up for success or anyone who is their quarterback for success. That's why they go through so many. So good luck. Um, but yeah, the next few years is going to be very, very interesting for the Browns. Nick Chubb back in action. 22 carries, 130 yards, a 5.9 per carry average. And the receiving core led by tight end Austin Hooper. Hoop. Four catches, 53 yards. On the defensive side of the ball, the, the Browns got no sacks. Miles Garrett, where are you at? The Lions got one sack. Two guys split the sacks. No big defensive performances. For the Lions, Amani Oruwari with, with an interception. Malcolm Smith, Denzel Ward with interceptions for the Browns. On the team's conversion rates, the Browns 5 of 13 on third down. The Lions 3 of 11. Yuck. Total yards. The Browns outyarded them by 104. Both teams turned the ball over twice, but the Browns outpossessed the Lions by nine minutes. Moving on. Texans. Big upset here. 22 to 13 over the Titans. The Texans are now a two-win team. The Titans eight and three. I think the biggest thing the Titan or Texans storyline is Deshaun Watson. What is going to happen with that man? What is the future of your team? Because they have 
to be honest, if I was, you know, really molding a team, the one guy I would want is potentially Brandon Cooks, a proven receiver that I was never high on, but showed me out. He's only 28 years old, so he is still pretty young. On the defensive side of the ball, they do have some playmakers. Their defense really showed out for them in this game. Um, you know, in that division with the Colts, looks like they're going to be pretty good for some time. Um, the Titans going to be there. So, you know, it's going to be hard for them just to flip the script. I think they have a two years, a few years out from really making moves. They need a quarterback more than anything. I love Tyrod getting a chance to get the dub here. Uh, but, you know, I mean, how old is Tyrod at this time? With all the injuries he's had, he's 32 years old. I don't know how much faith you could have in him. Meanwhile, as for the Titans, I think their big loss was signing Julio Jones. Um, I think the rest of their season outlook is pretty brutal uh, when they live so much through the run game. I mean, they didn't beat the Texans here at home, which is huge. I think they might slip out of the playoffs, but with such a good record already, it's going to be hard to do. If Derrick Henry does come back, which you almost can't root against, you know, you almost can't bet against him. He's a fucking animal. He is King Henry. He could get them back in the script and a team that you don't want to see in playoffs. Regardless, they do get in. They don't. It's not a team you want to fuck with in the winter with that scheme, with a decent defense. Um, but I wouldn't expect them to be a contender status unless Derrick Henry and a bunch of other pieces come back and everything's looking good. So let's talk the stats. Tyrod Taylor, 14 to 24, 107 yards, 69 rating. The backfield getting 38 carries. So they tried to run the ball um, ahead. They just didn't do a very good average as the whole unit had a 2.2 average. Uh, Philip Lindsay, who is now lo no longer on the team, had one for negative three. Uh, but Rex Burkhead, the old Patriot, 18 carries, 40 yards. It's a 2.2 average, but he led the way looking to be getting the lion's share of the touches. Um, David Johnson still there, 13 carries, only 18 yards. Why he's still getting carries, I'm not too sure. They called up Dontre Hilliard. He might be getting more of those carries. For the receiving core, it was led by Chris Conley. Four catches, 37 yards. Just not a lot of offense as expected. The line, or For the uh, Titans... Tennell threw the ball 52 times. It's not really a winning recipe for the way they're set up. He was 35 of 52, 323, one touchdown, four picks, was sacked twice, tough day in the office. The guy who led the backfield, um, I, I said Don, Tre Don Trey Hilliard for the Texans. He's not even on there. He's on the Titans, by the way. It's Don Trell Hilliard, so I was completely wrong there. But I'm sure someone is going to be moving up and taking David Johnson's carries. That was my point. But for the backfield of the Titans, uh, Adrian Peterson led the way with nine carries for 40 yards, but he is no longer there. So they have Dante Foreman and Dontrell Hilliard, who both had seven carries, uh, didn't do a lot with them. The back or the receiving core for the Titans led by Nest, Nick Westbrook Akini, seven catches, 107 yards. He had a 46-yard long ball. And then A.J. Brown, five catches, 48 yards. Now, Chester Rogers lost a fumble. Um, Desmond King, the second Camaro Grugier Hill and Terrence Mitchell, all getting interceptions for the Texans. Actually Desmond King, give them two, right? The Iowa alum. If I memory serves me correct. Yes. The Iowa alum out there wrecking house. Love to see it. I know when he came to the draft, I really wanted the Steelers to get him. Um, speaking of Camu Grugier Hill, he had 12 tackles, two passes to defend, two QB hits to add to that interception. 
Eric Murray, 11 tackles, 6 solo, 1 pass defended. And Zach Cunningham, 11 tackles, 1 tackle for a loss, and a pass defended as well. The Titans defense had Jayon Brown, the tackling machine, with 14 of them damn things, but they didn't get a sack on the day. And statistically, the Titans are 6 of 15 on third, the um, Texans 6 of 17. The Titans were 2 for 4 on fourth, the uh, Texans 1 for 1. Yardage-wise, the Titans out-yarded the Texans by 220, but were minus 5 in the turnover, 5 to 0 differential. And they outpossessed the Texans by a minute. But if you're minus five in the turnover department, there's no way in hell you're ever going to win. So um, I'm not surprised there. Moving on, the fun NFC North division, a game that's typically lopsided and why I pick the Packers, because I always pick the damn Vikings, especially when they're at home and they can never get the job done. Well, they got the job done. They beat the Packers 34 to 31. They are a nice five and five. Nice and even, while the Packers dropped to 8-3. and three. Now, I picked the Vikings and the Packers to get into the postseason. I think they still do. I think the Vikings went through a rough patch, so they're going to really have to improve on the second half. Uh, but I think they have the key pieces. They're staying healthy. You know, this is a season war of attrition. Where the Packers, I think, are going to go through some adversity the second half with that line. But other than that, their defense is vastly improved in a way better unit than I ever thought they were going to be, especially at the start of the year. It looked very brutal, and they don't even have Zadarius Smith back. So let's see if there's an update on him, actually, real quick. That makes me intrigued. Just says an extended period. No updates. Well, hopefully they could get him back because he's a huge uh, playmaker, the Smith boys. Uh, but a Aaron Rodgers, 23 of 33, 385 yards, four touchdowns. So the loss definitely not on his shoulders. A.J. Dillon leading the backfield, right? They still are without Aaron Jones. He took the ball 11 times for 53 yards. It's a 4.8 average. The receiving core was led by MVS. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, four catches, 123 yards and a tutty. He did have a long ball of 75 yards. And then Devontae Adams still doing his damn thing. Seven catches, 115 yards, and two tutties. Meanwhile, for the Vikings, Captain Kirk, Kirk Cousins, 24-35, 341, three touchdowns, a sack twice with a 128 rating. And Dalvin Cook getting 22 carries, the workhorse, 86 yards. It's only a 3.9 average, though, and a touchdown. But Justin Jefferson just taking the top off. Eight catches, 169 yards, and two touchdowns. He had a long reception of 56 yards. Adam Thielen having a day as well. Eight catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. But the defense, Eric Kendricks, 10 tackles, always doing his thing. They got two sacks. Um, Preston Smith for the Packers with two sacks, the only two sacks for the Packers. No interceptions on the day. So we look at the team stats, the Vikings 9 of 13 on third down. That's a winning recipe right there. And the Packers are pretty solid 7 for 11 on third down. The Vikings did get out yarded by the pack by about 52 yards. Neither team had a turnover. The Vikings outpossessed the Packers by three minutes. So it was an interesting game. I mean, the big thing was, I think Mason Crosby missed a field goal, if I remember that's obviously not going to be a good thing, but pretty flawless at game for both teams. But the Vikings, a very much needed win at home, almost a must win game at home.
to keep the season going. And then the game we were all waiting for, Dolphins-Jets. No, I'm just kidding. Some pretty, pretty ugly games this week when you look at you know high-level opponents. But the Dolphins go to 4-7 and seven as they beat the Jets 24-17. to 17. The Jets, Jets, Jets down to 2-8. and eight. You know, the Jets, uh, I don't believe in Zach Wilson. It looks like he's going to get an opportunity to start this week with the other quarterbacks, Joe Flacco and Mike White, on COVID protocols. Um, there's just not a lot of things that jump out on the offensive page. Michael Carter might, you know, be a decent back. Elijah Moore might be a decent receiver, but that defense needs a hell of a lot of help. They paid for CJ Mosley, a big contract. You know, they have a, a, a decent D line, but there's, there's a long ways to go. At least they're in the division that they are. Uh, but there's teams that are overseeing them. I don't see them to be a playoff team anytime soon. The dolphins have a lot of good pieces. They need a lot of health things to go right. You know, I think this season is going to be a wash. They're already four and seven after uh, overachieving year last year. But in their division, you never know. You have a chance. Uh, I, I could see them sneaking around in the next year or two. But it's all going to be on this man's shoulders. Tua Tagovailoa, however the hell you say his name. I hear it said. I'm like, oh, that's how you say it. You look at the name. I, it's hard to say just by looking at the name. I need to hear it to, like, get it. Maybe I should practice it. But I'll just always say Tua. And then I call his brother at Maryland, Tua's brother. Um, but Tua, 27-33, to 273 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He had 108.7 rating. Uh, the backfield led by ex-Husky Miles Gaskin, 23 carries, 89 yards. It's a 3.9 average. And the receiving core led by Mac Hollins, who had a 65-yard touchdown reception. He only had two catches for 72 yards. Um, for the Jets, Joe Flacco, Still crazy to me that he's back on the Jets and still playing football. Um, are the Ravens still paying him? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he was 24-39, 291 yards and two touchdowns. He had two sacks on the day. Uh, Michael Carter, nine carries, 63 yards. It's a seven per carry average. He's going to be out for some time. So Telvin Coleman, Ty Johnson, probably going to be mixing around the backfield, getting those carries, even though they're usually playing from behind. So they don't you know live through the run game. But... Elijah Moore, eight catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. He had a long ball at 62. Joe Flacco did lose a fumble. On the defensive side of the ball, the Jets didn't get any sacks. But Quincy Williams with 15 tackles, 10 solo, two tackles for a loss. And on the defensive side of the ball for the Dolphins, nothing that stands out. They did get two sacks. And for the Jets, Ashton Davis with the lone interception on the day. Looking at the conversion rates, both teams doing pretty good. The Jets 7-14, 50%. The Dolphins 8-14 on third, and the Jets 1-1 one one on fourth. The Jets were out-yarded by the Dolphins by eight yards. Both teams had one turnover, and the Dolphins outpossessed the Jets by seven minutes. So moving on, another NFC battle. The Eagles beat the Saints 40-29. They go to 5-6, the Saints 5-5. Five Really, there's a big question mark. The Eagles, always a competitive team. They're never going to be a 2-3-4 win team. They're at 500. Well, just dropped under 500 as we speak. But their big thing is figuring out Jalen Hurts. Is he your guy? What are they going to do with, with that? They do have some offensive weapons, finally, after the dreaded receiving core that um, Carson Wentz had to deal with. And the defense has some pieces as well. So I wouldn't be surprised in that dumpster fire of a division. They could turn things around soon. And the Saints are in a pretty similar boat. Great defense, good pieces to work with. Obviously, we all know the beast that uh, Kamara is, although he didn't play this week. 
and their quarterback. You know, they're paying Hill. Are they going to try to live with him? Are they going to let Jameis have another shot? What's going to be the difference maker? Um, as they have a, a, a solid team and a couple things go right, they could be a playoff team in the near future. I don't expect either of these teams to make the playoffs or really, you know, be someone to be too worried about. Uh, but Trevor Simeon, 22 of 40, 214 yards, three touchdowns and two picks on the day. In the backfield without Kamara, Mr. Mark Ingram, the old man doing things. 16 carries, 88 yards. It's a 5.5 average. When I say an old man, he's 31. That's the life in the NFL. But as a 31-year-old running back, you're definitely an old man. Um, the receiving core, Traquan Smith leads the way. Five catches, 64 yards. Tr- Adam Trotman, the tight end, who is definitely out for some time, maybe out for the year. Uh, got a touchdown, and Marquez Callaway finds the end zone as well. For the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, 13 to 24, 147 yards. If you have him in fantasy, probably, well, he always finds a way, right? He had 18 carries for 69 yards and also three touchdowns, although he didn't throw for one. Uh, Miles Sanders back in action, 16 carries, 94 yards. It's a 5.9 average against a very good run defense. And uh, Jordan Howard even getting 10 for 63 yards. So the team as a unit, a run first team against a very good defense, 242 yards. They get the dub. Uh, Dallas Godert, the newly extended Dallas Godert with five catches for 62 yards to lead the receiving core. Miles Sanders and Mark Ingram both losing fumbles. On the defensive side of the ball, Darius Slay and TJ Edwards with interceptions for the Eagles. TJ Edwards, 10 tackles, one tackle for a loss, two passes defended. For the Saints, Marcus Davenport, 10, sack, 10 tackles, a sack and a half, a tackle for a loss, and four QB hits on the day. What a day for him. On the conversion rates, the Eagles, 12 of 21. It's crazy they had that many opportunities. Um, the Saints, 6 of 13. The Eagles out-yarded the Saints by 63. They won. Uh, they were plus two in the turnover battle. They won three to one on the turnovers and out-possessed them by 15 minutes. Big win for the Eagles. The Panthers, Cam Newton's back at home against the old coach and squad. Couldn't get the job done. This is a parlay buster for sure. The Washington football team, 27. The Panthers, 21. Washington is now 4-6. and six. The Panthers, 5-6. and six. The Panthers were a sneaky pick that I had. I thought Sam Darnold's experiment would work. I didn't think they'd have a ton of, inner, ton of inner injuries. And I didn't think that offensive line would be as bad as it is. Well, now they drop this game. They do have Cam Newton back. I think that it's going to be a long stretch for them to get into the playoffs. And if so, they're not going to be much of a scary team. Same with the, the Washington football team. I don't expect them to do much. And do much in the future, right? I mean, their best seasons are like an 8-8 eight and eight season. You can't be 8-8 eight and eight anymore, sadly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Heineke is necessarily the answer. I've been pro-Heineke until the stretch of, not this week and the past week, but the weeks before, pretty ugly. Um, but Gibson looks to be a good back. Terry McLaurin continually does good things. That defense, very underperforming this year, so they need to get that figured out. Uh, for the Panthers, it's all about quarterback. Right, they're paying three quarterbacks right now, and uh, none of them are their long-term answer. You don't have a quarterback; it's hard to win in the NFL. Life of an NFL team. Well, Taylor Heineke was 16 for 22, 206 yards and three touchdowns. He was sacked three times. Antonio Gibson with 19 carries for 95 yards. It's a five per carry average. And Terry McLaurin led the receiving core, five catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. 
For the Panthers, Cam Newton, 21 for 27, 189, two touchdowns, was sacked once. Uh, Christian McCaffrey led the backfield with 10 carries for 59 yards. You got to give that guy the ball more. Come on. I know Cam Newton ran the ball 10 times for 46 yards and a touchdown. Cam definitely looking not like the Patriots Cam, more like the Auburn Cam. But you got to give Christian the ball more. Although he did lead the backfield in uh, or the receiving core, seven catches, 60 yards and a touchdown. DJ Moore with five catches for 50 yards and a touchdown as he reunite. He gets to be reunited with Cam Newton. Antonio Gibson lost a fumble for Washington. On the defensive side of the ball, Jeremy Chin, what a young stud. 13 tackles, a tackle for a loss on the day. Uh, they did get three sacks as a unit. For Washington, Cole Holcomb, 10 tackles, a pass defended. They had one sack on Cam Newton. Uh, no interceptions on the day. The Panthers were 2 of 9 on third down. That's brutal. 1 of 3 on fourth down, even more brutal. Uh, they were aggressive, tried going for it, didn't pay off. Um, the foul, uh, Washington football team, 6 of 13 on third, 2 for 2 on fourth down. Those are great conversion rates for the victory. Yardage-wise, they out-yarded the, the Panthers by 70. They won the turnover battle, uh, lost the turnover battle 1-0. to They were minus 1, but out-possessed the Panthers by 9 minutes in the victory. Heading to uh, another somewhat ugly matchup. The Niners, 49ers, 30. The Jaguars, 10. The Niners back at 500, 5 and 5. The Panther or Jaguars at 2 and 8. Yeah, I mean, Urban Meyer, the Jaguars are in for a hurting and their future, no one really knows where they're headed. They do have a quarterback, but they need him to get through the season at the rate they're going. Uh, I love their running back in James Robinson as well. For the 49ers, health, I mean, the, the injury bug they've had the past two years, it reminds me of me being an Angel fan and the shit that's like every year it's something. Uh, so that's been brutal. But they're going to be a team that is going to sneak around. It's going to be very tough for them to get into the playoffs. You know, I'd really have to put pen to paper, look at that ESPN playoff machine again. I can't remember if I had them in there or not. I don't think I do because uh, that division's so brutal. But they're a team that no one wants to play right now. Uh, Jimmy G, 16-22, 176 yards, two touchdowns, was sacked twice. Debo Samuel, what a fucking stud. He leads the team in rushing with eight carries for 79 yards. It's a 9.9 average. He got into the end zone once as a runner. And Brandon Ayuk leading the receiving core, uh, seven catches, 83 yards, and a tutty. Meanwhile, Trevor Lawrence, 16 and 25, 158 yards, was sacked three times. James Robinson, 12 carries, 29 yards. It's only a 2.4 average, and, a, and he got a touchdown. Um, they need a lead through the run game more, in my opinion, although the Niners defense is really good. And then the receiving core is led by Marvin Jones, the veteran, four catches, 52 yards. Tavon Austin losing a fumble. That's a tough day for Mr. Tavon. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, the Swiss Army knife of sorts that was hyped up for fantasy, lost a fumble as well. No interceptions, but for the Jaguars defense, Miles Jack, 12 tackles on the day. Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the defender Josh Allen, 10 tackles, four of them solo, one tackle for a loss. Meanwhile, for the Niners defense, Nick Bosa with two sacks of note. When we look at the conversion rate, the Jags 5 of 11 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Niners 50%, 6 for 12, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Niners outyarded the Jags by 133. They were plus 2 in the turnover department as the Jaguars turned it over twice. Uh, the Niners didn't turn it over, and they outpossessed the Jags by 17 minutes. Sheesh, 17 minutes. 
Now, the Bengals coming off the bye, they beat the turmoiled Vegas Raiders 32 to 13. The Bengals are 6 and 4, the Raiders slide to 5 and 5. I did not predict the Bengals in the playoffs. I think I had them as a four-win team. You know, I I, I didn't I'm not going to say that I didn't think Jamar Chase would be good. I don't think that was the thing at all or Joe Mixon or their offensive weapons. I thought the line was going to be very brutal and that Joe Burrow would be running for his life. At this point, they probably will be a playoff team. Am I completely afraid of them if I'm in the playoffs? No, but they are a sneaky team. They have a lot of weapons. Their future is bright, and I think they're going to be one of the better teams in the AFC North uh, for the next few years. And Joe Burrow might be the best quarterback in that division. Now, for the Raiders, Derek Carr and crew has just had a lot of headlines with the, the John Gruden issues, the... You know, Henry Ruggs issues where I think the season's kind of falling from them. I don't expect them to make the playoffs or be a force, but they do have weapons. They will be back next year. The AFC West is brutal, but they could be a team that, you know, can sneak in for the playoffs, be a 9-10 win team. Unless something really goes right. Now, Joe Burrow, 20-29, 148 yards and a touchdown. He got sacked three times, but they really went through the run game coming off the bye. Joe Mixon, Boomer Sooner, 30 carries, 123 yards and two touchdowns. And then on the receiving core, Tyler Boyd, six catches, 49 yards to lead the way. Although Jamar Chase got the touchdown. For the Raiders, Derek Carr, 19-27, 215 yards, a touchdown, a pick, was sacked twice. The backfield led by Josh Jacobs, although it was only nine carries for 37 yards. It's a 4.1 average. They were playing from behind most of the game. And Darren Waller, the big tight end, the athletic tight end, uh, seven catches, 116 yards to lead the receiving core. Now, Joe Burrow did lose a fumble as well as Derek Carr. Uh, Eli Apple got an interception for the the Bengals um, on their defensive side of the ball. No interceptions for the Raiders. The Bengals got two sacks as a unit. For the Raiders, Denzel Perrymore, always double-digit tackles, 12 tackles, two for a loss, two passes defended. Jonathan Abram, 12 tackles as well. The unit got to Joe Burrow three times. Conversion rates, the Raiders, one of seven on third down, not going to get the job done. The Bengals, eight for 16, clean 50%. They out, the Bengals out-yarded the Raiders by 10. They were a plus one in the turnover differential, two to one. And outpossessed the Raiders by 15 minutes. Thank you, Joe Mixon. Now, the game that I was more excited about that just did not transform and really killed me in fantasy as Dak Prescott is my quarterback, the Chiefs back in action beat the, the, the Cowboys 19-9. The Chiefs 7-4, the Cowboys 7-3. Everything that everyone was worried about with the Chiefs, not much of a conversation of late. Um... Yeah, just an ugly game. I think Tyron Smith coming back is going to be a huge piece for them. Uh, but obviously, no Cooper. Uh, C.D. Lamb leaving with concussion. That offense just, and, and Zeke being hurt, wasn't wasn't set up for success. Uh, but Dak Prescott, 28 for 43, 216 yards and two picks, was sacked five times. Tony Pollard led the backfield with 50 yards on seven carries. Zeke had nine carries for 32 yards before getting injured. Dalton Schultz led the receiving core, six catches, 53 yards, although Michael Gallup is back, and Cedric Wilson going to be key pieces moving forward unless C.D. Lamb plays on Thanksgiving. Pat Mahomes, 23 of 37, 260 yards and a pick. He was sacked three times on the day as well. 
Clyde Edwards Flair coming back. They do have a bye this week. They thought they might sit him out until after the bye. But he got 12 carries for 63 yards. It's a 5.3 average. He found the end zone as well. Uh, Tyree killed the Cheetah. Nine catches, 77 yards to lead the receiving core. Pat Mahomes did lose a fumble as well as Dak Prescott. Um, J-Ron Curse with an interception for the boys. Legereus Sneed and Char- uh, Charvius Ward, both with picks. Legereus Sneed becoming quite the player for the, for the Chiefs secondary. And how about this guy? The big name on the defense that they need to just really put out. Chris Jones, three and a half sacks on the day. For the Cowboys, Mika Parsons, the young fucking stud with two more sacks to add to his amazing season of every position on that defense. The uh, Chiefs 4-12 on third. The Cowboys 5-15, so neither team moving the ball extremely well. But the Chiefs did out-yard the Cowboys by 100, and they won the turnover battle 3-2, so they were plus one, and out-possessed the Cowboys by a minute. We'll be seeing these guys, I'm sure, deep in the playoffs. I think both these teams are true Super Bowl contenders. You know, health's going to be a huge piece here, but they do have all the weapons. And, you know, the Chiefs are my preseason favorite. I'm definitely not shying away from that. You know, I was really worried there for a second, and I tried to hold out, but then there was one performance, I can't remember it off the top of my head, that I was like, oh, shit. But they're back. That makes me happy for sure. You know, when I tell you guys someone's going to win the Super Bowl, they better fucking win the Super Bowl. I'm just kidding. Um, but, yeah, I mean, bright futures for both these teams. I'm not – I want to be too worried about them if I'm a fan. Except injuries, right? The Cowboys have been injury-riddled for sure. Now, a big NFC West battle. The um, Kyler Murray-less Arizona Cardinals moved to 9-2 and two and beat just the dumpster fire the Seahawks are right now, 23-13, to 13, as the Seahawks dropped to 3-7. and seven. When Russell got his finger fixed, I thought everything would go back to la-la land. The Seahawks would win games that they should, like this one at home, and I thought they would be a playoff team. At this point, I don't think they are. There's more drama there than anything. I think Russell's going to be gone. Um, I think there's just tension in the front office there. Things aren't. The team isn't bought in. The culture was trying to be patchwork. They traded a bunch of picks for Jamal Adams. They're trying to make things you know, happen for a long road of success, and that just wasn't the case. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, I thought they were a year away, and they are truly not a year away. They've won two games without Kyler Murray. They're 9-2. and two. The defense is legit. All these fast hybrid weapons that everyone was questioning in their drafts are paying off, and uh, they're a true contender. Do I see them actually coming out of the NFC? No, I don't. Can they? I mean, absolutely. They've proven us wrong this much. I think the Cardinals are very like the Steelers last year, though, winning games, um, doing things, but not really having the systematic recipe that I look for in a Super Bowl contender at this point in the season. Uh, Colt McCoy, 35 of 44, 328 yards and two touchdowns. He was sacked twice on the day. Pretty solid game. You know, he was questionable with his pec injury. Must be fine. Give him a, a little little booster shot before the game or something. Uh, the backfield, James Conner, 21 carries, 62 yards. It's a 3.0 average. But, of course, he finds the end zone because he's been doing that all season. Uh, the receiving core led by Zach Ertz, eight catches, 88 yards, two touchdowns. I guarantee you he is happy to be out of Philly and in Arizona. Um, the offense for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, 14 of 26, 207 yards. He was sacked four times on the day. Alex Collins led the backfield with 10 carries for 36 yards. DJ Dallas had the run in the end zone. And Tyler Lockett, the only receiver that did anything, 
as he had four catches for 115 yards. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, Jordan Brooks with 15 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and QB hit for the Seahawks. Bobby Wagner, always double-digit tackles, 14 tackles. And Sidney Jones, the fourth, with 11 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a pass defended. Uh, Byron Money with a sack and a half as a team uh, had two as a unit. For the Panth or for the Cardinals, Chandler Jones, another multi-sack game. He gets two on the day, and the unit had four together. We look at the team stats. The Seahawks, 2 of 10 on third down, not going to get the job done. 0 for 1 on fourth. The Cardinals, 7 of 14, 1 for 1 on fourth. Good conversion rates there. The Cardinals out-yarded the Seahawks by 150. Neither team turned the ball over, but they out-possessed the Seahawks by 20 minutes. Damn, that, that's crazy. 20 minutes, just no sustained drive for the Seahawks whatsoever. That is just crazy. And then we move into Sunday night. I knew without Minka, without Joe Hayden, uh, without TJ Watt, I mean, the defense runs this team right now. It was going to be a lot to ask. As a Steelers fan, I am happy with the performance. It's a tough loss, which makes this week's Bengals game, which we'll get to later, that much more important. Uh, but it was a fun one to come from behind, almost win, and then lose was definitely brutal. Um, the Chargers offense, as it should, took advantage and got the job done. Uh, but just shows you, you know, the people knocking the Steelers like they're just this old team. You shouldn't worry about them. Well, you better watch out that this team gets in the playoffs. That defense can beat anyone. They get that run game going. That's a championship formula. Um, I, I have a feeling the teams that win it this year are going to be those you know, scrappy teams that barely get in. And, you know, if you guys tuned into the original episodes of Business of Buckets, it was the start of this year, come playoff time. I did a really good job in diving in the teams. And the consistent formula was run game and defense. And, and it definitely uh, ended up being true with the way the results happen. But, uh, yeah, the C the Steelers 5-4-1. and one. The Bengals game this week is going to be huge. They have Bengals, Ravens. I think another Ravens game in between, maybe the Vikings. They have a very tough end of season schedule. So each game is going to be very prevalent. Um, it seems like Minka, TJ Watt and Joe Hayden should be back this week. So that's huge. The offensive line, very concerned about, especially with Kevin Dotson out, you know, Zach Banner finally getting playing time. I'm not sure, you know, if they were really worried about him getting re-hurt uh, mental things or what the fuck, but he, I'm glad he's in. He should be in. He's one of the best uh, run blockers they have. A uh, big body guy that they had expected as a starter before injury. And I think they'll be okay. Where the Chargers are 6-4, and four, I did not have them in the playoffs. Much like the Cardinals, I thought they were a year away. But that offense is, is cruising through and the defensive playmakers they have in Bosa and my favorite, Derwin James Jr., they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think they're going to sneak in the playoffs, but I wouldn't be too worried about them. Uh, I don't think they're a true contender this year. Now, Big Ben, no practice, COVID protocols, no nothing, comes in 28 for 44, 273 with three touchdowns. He was sacked three times. Uh, the run game, still confused to why Najee only had 12 carries, but they gave him 12 for 39. That's a 3.3 average with a touchdown. Uh, the receiving core led by Deontay Johnson, AB 2.0. You heard it here. Uh, he got a touchdown as well. Uh, Chase Claypool just under 100 with 93 yards. For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, flawless victory. No, 
Really good game, though. 30 of 41, 382, three touchdowns and a pick. He was sacked twice on the day. Herbert did have nine carries for 90 yards, a long run of 36, which is crazy. Eckler did get 11 carries for 50 yards, did get the end zone twice as a runner. The receiving core led by Keenan Allen, nine catches, 112 yards. Mike Williams with a long touchdown reception to ice the game. And Austin Eckler with two touchdowns as a receiver. Four tutties on the day for y'all fantasy freaks. Um, I was playing against Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler this week. So, yeah, obviously I took the loss. Uh, Defensively, the unit as a whole for the Chargers got three sacks. For the Steelers, Alex Highsmith, the young stud with a sack and a half, and Cameron Sutton with 10 tackles, a tackle for loss, pass defended. Low-key, though, the way Cam Hayward's been playing, he should be a legit defensive player of the year candidate. And I don't think that's being said enough except from Steelers brass. Now, um, Cam Sutton did get an interception for the Steelers defense as well. Statistically, the Chargers 7-12 on third down, 0-1 on fourth. The Steelers are pretty solid 8-15 on third down, but 0-2 on fourth down. The Chargers out-yarded the Steelers by 233 yards. They did lose the turnover battle 1-0, but out-possessed the Steelers by three minutes on Sunday night football. The Steelers' Sunday night showings this year against Geno Smith, uh, the half of their defense available. Bummer that when you see things in prime time, you don't get these. You know, this game ended up being amazing, but I love seeing the opponent being at health, us being at full health, not all this bullshit. (laughs) And then the barn burner we had on Monday night. This is the first primetime football game I have barely watched. Uh, I just knew it was going to be gross. I wasn't excited about it. I put some bets into it. I always like to do the first touchdown scoring bets uh, to keep things interesting. Uh, Godwin got it. I did not bet on him. I like the higher odds players. Uh, but anyways, the Bucks win 30-10 to 10 against the Giants. The Bucks are 7-3. and three, The Giants 3-7. and seven. You know, Danny Dimes more turnovers here. I don't know if Danny Dimes is going to be a quarterback for the Giants much longer. But I don't know if you can discredit him or uh, the front office that set him up for failure. Uh, I like him. He has potential. There are legit weapons on this offense. They can't figure it out. You know, the Bucks have a good defense, but 10 points is unacceptable, especially when their opening drive was a touchdown. I believe maybe their second drive, but they started with a touchdown pretty early on. Uh, the Buccaneers, true contender, right? The teams, I had them matched up against the Rams in the playoffs and the Rams beating them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're a true contender. We knew that coming in. They signed everybody from their team last year. The big thing is going to be health, and that defense uh, has been missing a lot of pieces. They are getting some back, Gronk back, so we'll see. But Danny Dimes was 23-38, 167 yards, a touchdown, and two picks, was sacked twice. Sakon Barkley led the backfield with six carries for 25 yards. It's only a 4.2 average. And then Kadarius Toney, got to get this guy the ball more. The things he does with the ball in his hand are pretty fun to watch. He had seven catches for 40 yards. For the Buccaneers, Tom Brady, 30 for 46, 307 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, Leonard Fournette led the backfield, 10 carries for 35 yards. Although Ronald Jones, the second, maybe because the blowout, not sure, finally getting some carries, and he got a touchdown. Uh, Mike Evans led the backfield, six catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Darius Slayton did lose a fumble for the Giants. Adoree Jackson got an interception in their backfield. For the Bucks, uh, Steve McLendon and Mike Edwards with interceptions themselves. The Giants have nothing really noteworthy defensively. They did get one sack as a unit, and neither did the Bucks. They did get two sacks as a unit themselves. 
Statistically, the Bucks six of thirteen on third down, one for one on fourth. The Giants one for nine on third down, one for three on fourth. The Giants were out yarded by just under two hundred yards. They lost the turnover battle three to one and were out possessed by the Bucks by eleven minutes. That's your Monday night football game. So week 12 of an 18-week season, the first 18-week season. And we have three Thanksgiving games, three, four, five, six, seven Sunday morning games, three afternoon games, a Sunday and Monday night game. Thursday, Thanksgiving, we get to wake up Thursday, get some coffee, get the food cooking, and boy, do we have a prime time matchup. We have the 0-9-1 Lions and the 3-7 Bears with Andy Dalton as the quarterback. Now, I, I might put a bet of first touchdown on this just to have fun. You know what? I might actually put my first no touchdown bet, which is like plus 5,000 usually to try to make some money and hope that it's ugly as shit just to, you know, get me going, keep me interested. There's something to watch. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to take the Bears – on the road, on Thanksgiving here. Um, I, I just don't know what to say about this game. You know, I'm kind of excited to see if Mooney could keep it going. Does Swift break a, a shit ton of yards? I don't know. But what an ugly game. Um, we move in the afternoon at 1.30 Pacific. We get the Cowboys hosting the Raiders. It should be a fun one. Um, you know, we do still not really know if uh, CeeDee Lamb's going to play. But I expect the Raiders' offense to rebound. Tyron Smith should be playing. Uh, the Raiders on the road, I just I don't know what to expect from them. So I'm going to go with the boys at home uh, on Thanksgiving. Got to get a little Thanksgiving action. And then uh, the Saints host the Bills on the Thursday night game. You know, is it going to be Hill, Simeon? I'm not too sure. I'm going to go with the Bills in a bounce back game on the road Thanksgiving. They're going to be in some turkey post game. Heading into Sunday, huge, 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 huge. Bengals Steelers Sunday morning. I'm going to need some Irish coffees or something for this game. I'm already nervous. Uh, the Bengals beat the Steelers at home. So can they get revenge? I think they do. I think that Steelers defense with their pieces back, as long as they are back as expected, are going to get the job done. And I'm going to take the Steelers on the road. Uh, the Bengals four and a half favorite uh, point favorite at home, but that will change if these pieces aren't making it. I will pick the Bengals, but huge, huge game here for both teams. The Colts hosting the Bucks. Um, can the Bucks stop Jonathan Taylor? I'm not too sure. I think the Colts got momentum. That team is confident. Uh, Carson Wentz is going to do enough to get the job done. I think the Colts upset the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks are three point favorites on the road, so I'm going with some dogs here. Um, early goings. Uh, the Dolphins host the Panthers. The Panthers a point and a half favorite on the road. I'm going to go with the Finns. I think Tua is getting some momentum back. You add some of those speedy receivers back in health. I just don't believe Cam Newton and that team is just going to just figure everything out. They need to give uh, CMC the ball more. Um, yeah, they're just going to have to basically do the game plan that the Eagles are. Running through their quarterback, running through Christian McCaffrey, give some play action to DJ Moore. But I'm going to with the Dolphins at home. That's three dogs in a row, by the way. Uh, the Patriots hosting the Titans. The Titans are kind of a sinking ship right now. They lost to the Texans at home. I think the Patriots handle business at home. They just got that easy schedule, man. And everyone's taking their dynamite contenders. Again, 
Pump the brakes. Yo, pump the brakes. Uh, the Giants, 3-7, and seven, taking on the Eagles. The Eagles, 3.5 point favorite on the road. I think post uh, Jason Garrett, they have Freddie Kitchens trying to rally the crew now. I think the offensive game plan is going to get the job done at home. This is just one of those games you get coaches fired. Everything's against you. The team has a kumbaya moment. They find a way. So Kwan's got better legs now. I think that offense has enough pieces to get the job done against the Eagles. So I'm going to take Danny Dimes and the Giants at home as the dogs. Lots of dogs this week. And then we have an even line. Jaguars at home hosting the Falcons. I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars at home. I think they're going to give a lot of, uh, they're going to have a lot of James Robinson. They better have a lot of James Robinson, especially if I'm picking them. And I think they'll find a way to get the job done. Uh, that's an even line as of now. The Texans hosting the Jets, 2-8, and 2-8. and eight. Gosh, we got some good games this week. Uh, the Texans, 2.5 points favorite. I think Tyrod Taylor finds a way to get the job done, and that defense is all over the Jets. The Broncos hosting the Chargers in the afternoon, a fun AFC West battle. The Chargers are 2.5 point favorites on the road. I think the, the Broncos get the job done. I think they run the shit out of the ball. I th I think that they play mistake-free football in Mile High. The weather's looking to be nice. I was hoping it would be shitty, but it's it's going to be 53, which in Denver is pretty warm and crisp this time of year. So uh, I think the Broncos do find a way. I don't know. You know, the NFL is chaos. You got to pick chaos sometimes. I guess I'm feeling chaotic because that's another dog that I'm taking as the Broncos are going to take on the Chargers. The Packers hosting the Rams, potential playoff matchup here. This is another e even line. I think the Rams rebound. Stafford gets his shit together. I think that they uh, uh, find a way to beat the Packers. The line is over under 48. That's going to be an interesting over, over, over under. I think it does go over. I think Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup have a day. Uh, whoever makes the most mistakes is going to lose this one. It's a 37-degree forecasted weather at Lambeau, so uh, it doesn't look like anything too crazy, but I'm going to go with the Rams on the road. We have the 5-5 five five Niners hosting the 5-5 five five Vikings. Big, big games for both teams. The 49ers are favored by three at home. I think they shut down Dalvin Cook. I think they find a way to win. I'm not too sure with Eli Moore if they're just going to you know, pivot through the run game. But you have Kittle back. You got Debo. There's too many playmakers. They make, uh, they play mistake-less football. So I think they find a way to win at home. The Ravens taking on the Browns. Another huge AFC North matchup. The Ravens favored by three and a half at home. I've told you what my thoughts are on the Ravens. I think they're missing way too many pieces. That offensive line suspect. There's rumors Kareem Hunt might be back this week. I think the Browns run, run, and throw in some more run. I think they find a way. I'm taking another dog on Sunday night football. Uh, Monday night, Washington football team taking on the Seattle Seahawks in Washington. They are a one-point favorite. I cannot take Washington. I can't do it. I think the Seahawks find a way. I think Russell wins an ugly game. It's going to be like 13-10. to 10, But I am taking the Seahawks on the road for another dog. The dogs days, Thanksgiving dogs days, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be a, a good week. Some very ugly games, but some very pivotal games. Colts, Bucks, Bengals, Steelers, uh, Broncos, Chargers, Vikings, Niners, Packers, Rams, Ravens, Browns. So some big games, huge implications on the season heading up. And that's what we got in the NFL. But like I said, it's football season. We ain't done yet. We got college football 
And there was some action around the league as well. And especially in the Big Ten, Mr. Mel Tucker and James Franklin uh, with 10-year contracts. Uh, Mel Tucker looking to transform Michigan State into a top-tier program. And James Franklin trying to get them over the hump where they get 10-year deals. Um, all I know is Mel Tucker got $95 million. I don't think the amount of James Franklin's contract was announced yet. Franklin contract amount. $7.5 million per year. $1 million annual life insurance loan. So he getting paid too. Not as much as Mel Tucker, but he getting paid. Uh, you you got to wonder if them seeing <laughs> Michigan State signing Mel Tucker, like, well, shit, what do we do? Do we try to move on or do we sign James Franklin? Uh, but great moves for those coaches. Happy to see coaches getting paid long-term contracts. It's a stressful job. Lots of shit involved. Also, Dan Mullen out at Florida. Is it true? Yes, it is true. I'm kind of shocked, but it is true. Uh, brutal for Florida, but more head coach openings. And before we talk about the rankings reaction, uh, which came out this, e this afternoon, and before we talk about FBS, we got FCS playoffs now. And we're going to talk about the last week in the FCS, and then we'll jump into FBS. So last week, there were some big games. They, we had some big games to set up this a FCS. If you're like, what is he talking about, FCS playoff, FCS bracket? So in the FCS, they have a true playoff format, which is way more fun, in my opinion. And um, this was the last week of football to set up that bracket for thus qualified playoff teams. Some games in the FCS that paid dividends and that were big. Uh, Kennesaw State 49-17 to over Monmouth as they went to 10-1 and and locked in a playoff berth. Uh, Villanova beat Delaware 21-13. to Let's see. Youngstown State beating Southern Illinois 35-18. to uh, That affected my Salukis. I've been rooting for the Salukis because I didn't know what the hell their mascot was and what a Saluki was, but um, big loss for them as they are now in the first round of the playoffs. What else? Eastern Tennessee state beating Mercer 38 to 35, another FCS playoff team. There was, oh, Eastern Kentucky 39 to 31 over Jacksonville state. Sam Houston staying undefeated as the true number one, 35-9 over Albaline Christian. James Madison beating Towson 56-10 as they stay at 10-1, or as they go to 10-1. Um, South Dakota State beating North Dakota. Big game for them. They've had a, a tough stretch, but finding ways to win uh, as they beat them by 24-21. North Dakota State smoking South Dakota as they get that playoff momentum ready. Uh, they beat South Dakota 52-24. to Sacramento State winning the Big Sky Conference as they go to a clean 8-0 slate in conference. Uh, they defeat UC Davis 27-7, which in my opinion, UC Davis probably the most overrated team in FCS, getting the easiest Big Sky schedule. Um, and then the big one, the Brawl of the Wild, the College Game Day less game, which College Game Day should have went to because Ohio State smoked Michigan State. Uh, but Montana ending the four-year drought, ending the rival victory at home, beating the Bobcats 29-10. to 
I wanted to go to a sports bar with some friends from some Grizzlum. Uh, they couldn't make it out, so I went with one of my friends to a bar. Ended up being a Montana State alumni party, and I crashed that party, and I had a good effing time uh, because this was overdue, and as a Grizz fan, I almost had enough. If it would have been 29 to 10 cats, uh, my fandom of the Grizz would be very, very low. Very, very low. We got to be a powerhouse, right? I want them to move up. I want them to do big things. Uh, Cameron Humphrey, though, back in action, 13 to 22, 220 yards, a touchdown, although he did have two picks. Not a lot from the running game. Xavier Harris with 41 of the team's 51 yards on 17 carries. It's only a 2.4 average. And Junior Bergren led the receiving core with 82 yards and a touchdown. That defense, though, man, the things that they can do, uh, they held a very good running team to 96 yards as a unit. The quarterback was 12 of 25, 108 yards and a touchdown. I want to say they had 35 yards at half um, to hold the Bobcats to 10, which is a top-ranked team in all of FCS football. Um, only forced one turnover. But goddamn, it feels good to be a Grizz fan, baby. So let's talk FCS tournament. And I'll give you guys my little bracket prediction. So I'll pull her up here. All right, so first round, Stephen, S. Stephen F. Austin versus um, UIW um, in Carte World or some shit like that. Stephen F. Austin's had a pretty tough schedule. I think they're the real deal. They've played teams competitively, including Sam Houston. I think they win that that first round to play Sam Houston in the second round. And, uh, yeah, I think Sam Houston's probably a little scared of that. It's very similar to this side of the bracket where the first-round matchup is Northern Illinois, or Northern Iowa versus Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington uh, losing a couple of games late, not putting them into a bye into the second round. I think Eastern Washington does win this game, and they will play Montana in Missoula, where their first matchup was down to the wire in uh, Cheney, Washington. Um, and I think the Grizz are a little scared of that. As a Grizz fan, I saw that draw. I was like, ooh, shit. I wish we could be um, you know, somewhere else. Um, but the Grizz will be playing Eastern. I think Eastern wins that. UT Martin versus Missouri State. Missouri State, a pretty solid squad. I think they're going to get the job done to, to face Montana State. And I think Montana State squeaks one out there. Uh, a lot of that's going to be defense and run game, which would set up Montana State versus Sam Houston in the semis or in the quarterfinals. Um, I have Holy Cross beating Sacred Heart. These are two teams I hardly knew anything about. And looking at their schedule, you're like, who are they playing? I have no clue. I'm going to go with Holy Cross winning here, uh, taking on Villanova. And Villanova, not the basketball team. Uh, which is kind of crazy. Villanova did beat Montana in a championship a while back. I almost remember their quarterback's name because he ran all over us, uh, but I think Villanova beats Holy Cross to move into the quarters. And then a fun matchup here, UC Davis versus South Dakota State. I told you my thoughts on UC Davis. I think South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits, move on to take on another Big Sky team in Sac State, the, the Big Sky winners. And I think South Dakota State wins that game to take on Villanova. I do think Sam Houston beats Montana to move into the semifinals, and I think South Dakota State upsets Villanova, an unseeded team, into the semifinals to take on Sam Houston, but I do think Sam Houston represents uh, um, the west side of the bracket. Other first-round matchups, we have the Salukis, Southern Illinois, taking on South Dakota. 
I think South Dakota has more momentum. They find a way to beat the Salukis to take on North Dakota State, a foe they're too well aware of. I don't think they could beat North Dakota State, so I'm taking North Dakota State into the quarters. Uh, Davidson versus Kennesaw State. I'm going with Kennesaw State over Davidson. They would play Eastern Tennessee, or, yeah, I think it's Eastern Tennessee, ETSU. And I'm going with Kennesaw State with the upset as well. So I'm, I have Kennesaw State in the uh, quarterfinals against North Dakota State, but I'm going with North Dakota State. You cannot bet against these damn bison as they always find a way. Uh, so I think they win that side of the bracket. Um, Florida A&M versus Southeastern Louisiana. I think Southeastern Louisiana gets the job done. They battled James Madison very tough. I do think James Madison moves on. And I'm going with the Grizz over Eastern Washington. I think a lot of people want to pick Eastern there. But as close as the first game was, I think Montana's improved more. And I think they're healthier. And being in Missoula, there's no place like Missoula, baby. Washington Grizz, the loudest stadium in FCS football. That makes a difference. Two weeks from now, hopefully there's snow. Hopefully Eric Bieri and that bullshit talking team get stumped in Missoula in the zoo. But sadly, I think the Grizz fall to James Madison. James Madison takes on the Bison. The Bison win and win the whole thing as they always do. I can't bet against them because they always win the damn thing. So, yeah, a lot of premium level teams hire pick teams to win it. Uh, I do think Kennesaw State and South Dakota State make some splashes, though, within the FCS football. So there you go. There you have it. The first round is this weekend. Second round next weekend is going to be a lot, a lot of fun. In the FBS world, we had a pretty crazy week as the new playoff rankings came in. Um, starting up with uh, Tennessee or Houston beating Memphis 31 to 13. Um, pretty good performance by the, the newly ranked uh, college football playoff ranked Houston squad that moves to 10 and one eight. No in their American conference. Let's see, Alabama, close game. I did tell my friend that this would be close. We made a bet it would be within 14. Well, Arkansas only lost 42-35. to I do think Alabama is going to get smoked by Georgia and hopefully fall out of the playoff picture, but uh, you, we know the, the biasness of the uh, college football playoff committee in the SEC. But um, probably the... I know a lot of people have uh, CJ Stroud as a favorite, but I mean, this guy's been consistent. Bryce Young, 31 to 40, 559 yards and five touchdowns on the day. Brian Robinson Jr. out of the backfield, 27 carries, 122 yards. I think that uh, Bryce Young's got to be one of the Heisman favorites for sure. Uh, Utah upsetting Oregon. It wasn't an upset because Vegas had Utah favorite at home, and I did as well. Um, I, I had a lot of people shocked that I picked Utah over Oregon. But that just shows you, man, Oregon is so vastly overrated. No offense to the Pac-12, but their level of performance and competitiveness is just nowhere near the other Power 5 conferences. Uh, but Utah ran their way to victory and just ran down the throats of uh, Oregon from the get-go to win 38-7. to And in this college game day-ass game, Ohio State blows out Michigan State 56-7. to Michigan State's not meant to play from behind. But that Buckeye offense was just way too powerful for the Michigan State defense. C.J. Stroud, 32 at 35, 432 yards, six touchdowns. Master Teague with 95 yards running and a touchdown. Ohio State had three receivers over 100 yards. Chris Olave with 140 and two tutties. Garrett Wilson, 126 and two tutties. 
and Jackson Smith Najiba, 105 yards and a touchdown himself. Cincinnati, a potentially tough game in the American Conference. Whoops, SMU, 48 to 14. Uh, Desmond Ritter, 17 to 23, 274 yards and three touchdowns as they stay undefeated and might have locked themselves into a playoff spot. Uh, Michigan trounces Maryland as they move to 10 and 1. Cade McNa uh, McNamara, 21 to 28, 259 yards and two touchdowns. Georgia Tech, I said, watch out of a potential upset here. They got blown out by Notre Dame, 55 to 0. Uh, Jake Cohen, 15 to 20, 285 yards and two touchdowns. Oklahoma State blanks Texas Tech, um, 30, uh, 23 to 0, as their hopes for a, a playoff spot still live. Clemson beating the overrated Wake Forest at home, 48 to 27. Although Sam Hartman still shown out, 27 to 43, 312 yards and a tutty. Uh, Baylor beating Kansas State on the road by 10. Um, Deuce Vaughn, Deuce is loose for Kansas State. 11 carries, 128 yards and a touchdown on the defeat. Old Miss handles Vanderbilt 31 to 17. Matt Coral 27 to 36, 326 yards and, a, and two touchdowns. Uh, Oklahoma, not very pretty again, escapes Iowa State 28 to 21. Kennedy Brooks with 115 yards on the ground. Uh, Brock Purdy playing well and went to his tight end a lot. Kohler with 12 catches, 152 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Wisconsin beats Nebraska 35 to 28. Texas A&M, as they should, blanks Prairie View A&M 52 to 3. Why they're playing a team like Prairie View this late still blows my mind. Iowa beat Illinois by 10, 33 to 23. Pittsburgh beat Virginia by 10, 48 to 38. And the offensive numbers by these two quarterbacks, ACC football, were pretty crazy. Kenny Pickett, 26 of 41, 340 yards, four touchdowns, and two picks. Brendan Armstrong, 36 of 49, 487 yards, and three touchdowns. Um, what else? UTSA barely beats UAB for Conference USA. They stay 7-0, 11-0 on the season. Um, let's see. Frank Harris, 25 of 36, 323 yards and three touchdowns for the Roadrunners. Mississippi State beats Tennessee State, 55 to 10. Will Rogers, 28 of 34, 391 yards and five tutties. Penn State blanks Rutgers, 28 to 0. West Virginia upsetting uh, Texas, 31 to 23. Texas losing their stud court, uh, running back. Their season is in turmoil as they drop to 4-7, and 2-6 and six in the Big 12. What else did we have happen? The Huskies continue to lose. They lost to the Colorado 20-17, although Dylan Morris was 33-52, 387, and two touchdowns. UCLA whooping USC 62-33, and boy, did their QB have a day. Dorian Thompson Robinson, 16 to 22, 349, four touchdowns. He did have two picks. Uh, he ran the ball for 46 yards and two touchdowns as well. And Zach Charbonnet, have a day, sir. 28 carries, 167 yards, six per carry average, and a tutty. USC nightmare season continues. They're four and six, three and five in the Pac 12. Uh, Miami continues to win under their third string, potentially new leader of a quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke was 19 to 33, 
357 yards and three touchdowns. How about them Cowboys? The Wyoming Cowboys find a way to put up 44 points against Utah State. Levi Williams, 12 of 15, 242 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Titus Swen with 169 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Xavier Valade, 145 himself as well. Isaiah Nayer, four catches, 125 yards and a touchdown. I was talking that shit about them, and they showed out against a pretty solid Utah State team. It was 5-2 in the Mountain West. Wyoming goes to a very poor 2-5 in the Mountain West. So that set us up for these new rankings, which came out just a couple hours ago. And a lot of my overrated, underrated stay the same. I just feel the same way. Okay, Oregon gets blown out against Utah. They drop eight spots to 11. I still say they're overrated. A two-loss team in the Pac-12, I don't think they should be there. They should be more right around Utah, around the 19-20 range. Uh, Utah is 19, by the way. Cincinnati, love you. You're undefeated. You should be in the playoff. I hope you're in the playoff. It's fun for football fans. But I'm sorry, you're a little overrated. Could, do I think you could beat Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma State, those types of teams? I don't think so. Uh, Michigan, they are up one spot to number five. Sorry, not sorry. That offense is just not good enough. The Big Ten offenses are pretty pitiful. I don't think they could beat some other teams ranked ahead of them, including Oklahoma State, Baylor, Ole Miss, Oklahoma. Uh, they can't even beat Michigan State. You know, Michigan's down to 12. Um, who else? Notre Dame, yeah, you don't play nobody. You're ten and one. You're ranked six. That's they're they're overrated. Wake Forest, uh, they're only eighteen now. They drop eight to eighteen. I still think they're overrated at nine and two. Clemson does enter the rankings, which I'm sure they're happy to see themselves back in there at twenty three. Uh, but I think they are overrated. I think Arkansas would blow them out. Um, Baylor, I do think they're overrated. They are number eight. Um, I'm just not that impressed with them. They moved up three spots. I don't think they should be a top 10 team. UTSA, that's just a granted that they're undefeated. They're in the rankings, but I don't think they could beat any team in the rankings. That's why I think they're overrated, including North Carolina State. The ACC is just a shit show. They continually stay right around the 20th ranked. I don't think they could beat uh, Clemson, Arkansas teams below them. Um, Wisconsin. Number 14, another Big 12 bias right? That's a bias. The conference is in here. They're up in the rankings because of that. I don't believe in their offense. I don't think they could beat a lot of teams listed below them. I don't even think they could beat Pittsburgh, Utah, or Arkansas. Uh, BYU, they're 13. They move up a spot. Again, a lot of the teams below them. The two teams below them right away, Wisconsin and Texas A&M. I don't think they could beat them. What was their best non-conference win? So they lost to Baylor. Their best non-conferences were Pac-12 wins against Utah and Arizona State. Y'all already know my thoughts on the Pac-12. Now underrated. There's two of them. Arkansas, 25. It's a, you know, there's four losses. I get it, but they're not the 25th best team in the country. And Oklahoma, yeah, you could call me biased. I do think Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State. They may get an opportunity against Baylor again. I think they would beat Notre Dame. I think they would beat Michigan. That's why I think they're underrated. But guess what? Who gives a ish? We'll find out. We're going to find out. The top four teams does make sense now. I am really, 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 really rooting for Alabama to get destroyed by Georgia. What does that mean for the playoff, though? I have absolutely no idea. 
They're probably going to put a Big Ten team in this in this year unless Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma and wins the Big 12. I, I could see the, the uh, Oklahoma State team getting an opportunity. Oklahoma wins out, maybe. They'd have to be very fashionably impressive by the way they do it. So that's why I think the Big Ten is probably going to get a team in. And maybe they find a way to give fucking Alabama that spot still. But let's just hope not, that doesn't happen. Let's Let's hope for the best here. All right, well, UFC, baby. Not as much happened in the UFC. We don't have a card coming up this week. It's Thanksgiving weekend. They have a week off after a quite a run of consecutive UFC cards every weekend. Um, some fights that have been announced. This one I'm really excited about. Jack Shore versus Umar Nurmagomedov. What a fucking fight that's going to be. Banger alert for sure. Two young studs that will be um, the faces of their, their weight class and, and top dogs in, in coming years. Big news for the UFC. They sign undefeated 21-year-old Muhammad Mokayev. Uh, big things in, in store for him as he enters the bantamweight class that's very deep. Um, Usman and Edwards is confirmed in March or April. They haven't decided the exact date yet, but we now finally get to see Edwards with a title shot. Alonzo Menafield taking on William Knight. Banger alert all day, every day. Those are some big boys, and they throw some smoke. Um, Chris Curtis filling in for um, Brendan Allen's opponent for a quick turnaround on the December 4th card. Chris Curtis, MSG debut in the UFC after all his professional bouts in through all the different promotions, knocks out his opponent. You know, he was getting kind of his ass kicked, but knocks out his, his opponent. Here he is finding a way to top off the year. If he gets through Brendan Allen, welcome, son, to the limelight. But that's going to be a very tough fight for him. Uh, recapping last week's card, I didn't digest or dive into Lupi Godinez's his fight, but she got the victory. Good props to her. I always look out for her for, for her name. The the fights that we did pick, I went two and two on the card. This one I got right. Adrian Yanez with the split decision victory over Davy Grant, which you know this was a good fight. It was really building the brand for Yanez as he had even called out Sean O'Malley uh, as a potential next fight if Sean wins in December. But uh, the kid's good, man. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. The, the striking is vastly improved. You know, this was a split decision and potentially got put in some of the deeper waters that he has in the UFC against a very tough Davy Grant who's never been finished. Uh, I wanted to see him go f get the finish, though, and, and he wasn't able to do so. Had a nasty ear issue getting that drained. He was on the Ariel Hawani show with some magnets in his ear. Tough, tough break for his ear there, but... Uh, statistically, he landed 100 total and 100 significant strikes, while Davey had 98 total and 98 significant strikes. Great close fight. Uh, Yanez is now on an eight-fight winning streak, four of them in the UFC after his Dana White Contender Series victory, and Grant now drops his second fight in a row and looks to re rebound to gain momentum. He lost to Marlon Vera before this. For Yanez, it looks realistic that he could take on the Sugar Show, as long as he beats uh, Pava in December, which I will be there to see the Sugar Show live, baby. And Grant, he could take on someone like a Julio Ars or Nathaniel Wood to get back on track. For some women's fights, we had Talia Santos with the first round submission over Joanne Calderwood. I got this one right as well. But this fight did surprise me. I thought it was going to be like a split decision fight, a lot closer than it was. But Santos dominated. She was able to control the fight against Calderwood, even though Joanne, JoJo looked way bigger. Uh, but Santos has now won four in a row. She's shooting up the rankings. 
where JoJo, tough, tough days. Uh, she's now dropped two in a row in three of her last four. She's tough. She's a true vet. I'm sure she'll figure it out. But statistically, Santos landed 36 total and 30 significant strikes with two takedowns um, and two submission attempts versus Calderwood's 30 total and 27 significant strikes. Up next for Santos, I could see her taking on the winner of Jennifer Maya and Caitlin Chukagian as she moves up five spots to number five. For JoJo, a rematch with Cynthia Cavillo, who's in a tough stretch as well. I think that makes sense as she already fought a lot of the competition in the division. Uh, she does move down a spot to number six, so we'll see what happens for her. But wow, that's all I got to say here. Wow, wow, wow. Sean Brady, unanimous decision over Michael Chiesa. Boy, oh boy, I never thought I'd see Chiesa get dominated in the grappling department by anyone in that class besides maybe Colby Covington or Usman. But Sean Brady is a real deal, guys. And we haven't seen a lot of a lot of the ability for him to display his potential. He went through some staff affection issues, some rescheduling abouts. But I'm a believer after this fight, man. That is for sure. Uh, he is undefeated. He's 15 and 0 with a five uh, with five in a row in the UFC. You do have to give Chiesa credit though, not to steal from the limelight of Sean, but for not getting fished and digging finished and uh, digging deep in this loss. He got taken down early in the first round. You're like, oh shit, lots of time left. Like he could have easily just given up bad position and, and got out of it. But he stayed calm, cool, collected, was able to battle it through. But Sean was just clearly the better fighter on this day. Uh, statistically, Chiesa had 71 total strikes and 29 significant with a takedown, while Brady had 51 total and 18 significant with five takedowns, which is next level against a guy like Chiesa. That's, I don't know if I can say enough of how impressive that actually is. I was just in shock. Uh, Chiesa has now dropped two in a row. He is in a very peculiar position, just like he was before in his last weight class, which I'm sure is tough for him. You know, he's a nice guy. He's always looking positively. But you move weight classes, you go on a tear to lose two in a row like this. It's, it's, it's brutal, especially when a lot of other guys in the class won't fight a guy like Sean who was ranked or was unranked at the time, I think. Um, he does move down three spots to number nine. I'd love to see him fight a lot of guys in this class. I think he needs to let things shake out, though, where Sean, he has a ton of options. Maybe the winner of Stephen Thompson or Bilal Muhammad like you talked about. But if not, maybe a Jorge Masvidal. I just don't think he would take a fight against Sean. Uh, but th these would be great measuring stick fights for him. And he moves up six spots to number eight. And then the main event, another shocker for me. Ketlin Vieira with the unanimous decision over Misha Tate. What really caught me off was just listening to Tate, seeing Tate being in the best shape. You know, talking about using her experience and, and and being through tough waters in the UFC, she seemed so mentally confident in things that I was just buying in that she was back. And I wanted to see a rematch of her against Nunez, um, but it didn't look like she was she's going to have the ability to get back up there. But props to Ketlin. Uh, statistically, Ketlin had 156 total and 113 significant strikes, while Tate had 145 total and 122 significant with a with a takedown. Vieira starts a new winning streak. I could definitely see her taking on Holly Holm next, uh, but she moves up one spot to number six. For Tate, she definitely needs to continue building momentum. I could see her taking on Yana Kunskaya, who she just leapfrogged in the rankings, or Irene Aldana. Uh, but 
we'll see. We'll see. It's I'm glad she's back. Tough loss for her, though. Next up, December 4th, another Apex Fight Night card. But this one's a joy of a card for a Fight Night, a free ESPN Plus card, headlined by Font versus Aldo. That's going to be fun. There's a lot of good fights on that card. Brad uh, Riddell versus Raphael Fiziev of two big-time up-and-coming brawlers. So lots to look for, but a little bit of a break from the UFC for, for the holiday. And the NBA, crazy shit happening with the uh, LeBron James Isaiah Stewart mishap. I think it was way blown out of proportion. It wasn't a brawl. It wasn't all that that you saw on the clickbait. Uh, but LeBron was suspended one game and Isaiah Stewart two games for that incident. I think that's totally fine and acceptable. Let's move on and play play basketball. Um, the Kings firing Luke Walton. Tough for him as he is fired again. Not too sure what his NBA future holds. Uh, for the Cavs, Colin Sexton officially out for the year. Brutal loss. Their young guard um, is, is going to be highly missed. The Mavs reportedly going to retire Dirk's number. No surprise there. He is the Maverick. He is the fucking man. And he brought some tough days for me as a Dwayne Wade fan. You know, I am a true jazz fan, not a Heat fan. But Dwayne Wade, my favorite athlete of all time, was rooting for the Heat. And the Mavs shut that shit down multiple times. Uh, and a lot of that is for because of Dirk. How about this? Probably the most legendary arena in sports the most pronounced besides maybe MSG, but the staple on the West Coast is not a staple anymore. It's not staples. It is now going to be Crypto.com Arena as crypto is mo making moves everywhere. They're the new Bud Light, you know, Light Beer, Coors Light, whoever you want to say, and they're trying to take, take over. They're on the names of the UFC uniforms, which they have to wear unison uniforms now, and they're offering stupid amounts of money I think this was like seven hundred million. What money? I don't know how much. How much did Crypto.com pay for Staples? I think it was seven hundred million. Seven hundred million dollars. Sheesh! Crypto is taking over the world. We're all just electronic robots at this point. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, big moves there. I mean, staples. Like, holy shit. Um, a lot of people, kind of like the Patriots, hyping up the Warriors. They're the front runners, number one in power rankings. They're the true contenders. The Lakers are screwed. Their season's over. Yada, yada. So I wanted to give you guys my viewpoint on these two big topics. Are the Warriors great? Absolutely. Do I love Steph Curry? Absolutely. I can't wait for Klay Thompson to come back. This team is going to be a true force in the West. But that they're the front runners and they're going, you know, they're the favorites to win the whole thing, I think is definitely blown out of proportion. I don't think that team's that deep. They do have shooters. They don't have big play. They're going to need a lot from Weissman coming back. I, I think they need a lot of things to work for them. So I'm going to put a, a, a pump the brakes on that hype train. Meanwhile, are the Lakers done? There's still the trade deadline. They could still make some moves happen. But as I had mentioned, you sign Russell Westbrook, you are in trouble. Right there, the age of that team, there's a lot of older vets. They are an older team. They're going to need a lot of things to go right for them. Uh, but welcome to the West, Russell Westbrook experience. The, 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 the crazy playmaker that he is, I think there's just a lot of negatives that come with that. And I think that's why the Lakers are in trouble, and I didn't pick them to win it anyways. But let's talk last week's action. 
What happened last week? Well, the Hornets moved to 9-7 and seven to take down the Wizards as the Wizards are continually falling a little bit. Uh, they won 97-87. to 87. Terry Rozier, 19-8-4. Bradley Bill with 24-3-7 and seven in defeat. The Hawks give the Celtics another loss as they move to 7-9. The Celtics drop to 7-8. They win 110-99. Jason Tatum, 34-9-5. John Collins, 20-11-1. What else? The Bucks beating the Lakers in a close one, 109-102. Giannis, the Greek freak, doing work, 47-9-3 in the victory. In the late-night game, the Suns beating the Mavericks, 105-98. The Suns on a hot streak. They, they moved to 11-3. The Mavericks dropped to 9-5. This is last Wednesday after the pod. Um, DeAndre Ayton, 19.13 rebounds. Chris Stops, Porzingis, 21-8-7 as he's getting back into rotation. The Bulls' hype train gets slowed down by the uh, Blazers at home. They beat the Bulls 112-107. The Blazers move to 8-8. Eight and eight. The Bulls 10-5. Zach Levine put his work out. 30.6 rebounds to assist. Damian Lillard had 22-4-10 in the victory at home. Moving into Thursday. What did we have on Thursday? The Clippers losing to the Grizzlies on the road. The Clippers dropped to 9-6. The Grizz moved to 8-7. Ja Morant, what a season, 28-5-5. PG doing his best with 23-5-6 in the defeat. The Sixers still won in Denver on the road, 103-89. They moved to 9-7. The Nuggets dropped to 9-6. Tyrese Maxey, 22-5-4. Nikola Jokic, 30-10-7. Guy's a machine, man. The Jazz finally win one at home, 119-103 against a very good Raptors team that's on a long road stretch. Jazz moved to 10-5. Raptors dropped to 7-9. Gary Trent Jr., though, 31 points. Rudy Gobert, the stifle tower, 10 points, or 14 points, 11 rebounds. Moving into Friday, the Celtics stopped the Lakers at home. As they go to 8-8, the Lakers dropped to 8-9, 130-108. Tatum continuing the hot streak, 37-11. AD with 31-6. The Suns again getting the uh, Mavericks and beating them again at home to keep the winning streak going. One or one twelve to one hundred four. Uh, CP three with eighteen five and fourteen. Chris Stapps twenty three and twelve in the defeat. As Luca's been out, I think COVID or concussion. Nothing long term. Hopefully. Uh, the Wizards beat the Heat at home. They go to 11 and 5. The the Heat 11 and 6. They win 103 to 100. Bradley Bill at 21 4 and 9. Jimmy Buckets 29 5 and 4. Um, the Blazers beat the Sixers at home 118 111. The Blazers go above 500 to 9 and 8. The Sixers drop to the same record 9 and 8. Tyrese Maxey doing the damn thing as Joel Embiid's out in COVID protocols. Tyrese Maxey, 28-3-9. I like this kid. I think he is a future true NBA point guard. And Damian Lillard, 39-7. That slow start has definitely warmed up. And y'all got to know it was going to be Dame time eventually. On Sunday, the Clippers beat the Mavericks at home, 97-91. They moved to 10-7. The Mavericks dropped to 9-7. PG, 29-4-6. Chris Stapps doing his thing, 25-8 in defeat. The Suns beat the Nuggets at home, 
more than beat them. They smoke them, 126 to 97. DeAndre Ayton with 21 and eight, uh, 21 points and eight rebounds. Aaron Gordon led the Nuggets, 16 and 10. Moving into Monday this week, what we have the Hornets beat the Wizards again this time on the road, 109 103. They moved to 11 and 8. The Wizards dropped to 11 and 6. Montrez Harrell, 24 and 18. LaMelo Ball, 28, 13 and 7. The Jazz last night, or what? I don't even, yeah, last night. I don't even know what fucking day it is. Whew, COVID, crazy. Uh, the Grizz beat the Jazz. This was a tough one. The Jazz up the whole game, let it slip away by a pretty much a buzzer beater by Jaron Jackson. Um, the Jazz dropped to 11 and 6. The Grizz go up to 9 and 8. Rudy with 23 and 13. Desmond Bain with 28, 4 and 4. Anything happening today? The Knicks. Beating the Lakers at home. Looks like it's going to be done in the first TNT doubleheader. Julius Randle, 19 and 15. Russell Westbrook, 26, 11 and 9. Going for that triple double. The second doubleheader tonight. Blazers hosting the, the Nuggets in a, in a fun Western battle. We look at the standings. The Nets still one in the East. The Bulls two. I expect them to start slipping. The Heat three. I expect them to go up. The Wizards four. You'd expect them to close down. The Hornets are five and six. The Celtics have gone up to six. Uh, the Bucks dropped to seven. I'd expect them to get back up as they're healthy. The Sixers eight, Knicks nine, Cavs ten. You'd expect the Hawks and Raptors to get back in the mix. So I do think things will be changing. Especially, I don't expect uh, Bulls to finish that high or the uh, Wizards. In the West, man, it's it's a grind. It's Warriors, Suns, Jazz, Clippers, Mavs, Grizz. Blazers, Nuggets, Lakers, Timberwolves. As long as Jamal Murray comes, I'd expect the Nuggets to climb. But this might be pretty damn close to the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, the Jazz, I do feel, unbiasedly, are more bet, more built for the number one seed. But it'll be a fun race between them, Golden State, and Phoenix, especially with Klay Thompson coming back. Shit's getting interesting, man. Shit's getting interesting. The real NBA season starts after Christmas. I think we can kind of agree with that. But what do we have in store this upcoming week? The Celtics play the Nets uh, on Wednesday on ESPN. That'll be a fun game. The Warriors hosting the Sixers on that ESPN doubleheader. It'll be a fun one. Joel Embiid expected to play. Nothing on Thanksgiving. It's meant for football. Friday, the Nuggets hosting the Bucks. Big Western Conference battle. That's on NBA TV. The Warriors hosting the Trailblazers as they look to stay number one in the West. Moving into Saturday on the weekend, the Nets hosting the Sun, a fun Eastern-Western clash that's on NBA TV. The Bulls hosting the Heat, two Eastern top dogs. The Mavericks hosting the Wizards as the Wizards try to stay hot. On Sunday, the Clippers hosting the Warriors. That'll be a fun Western Conference battle. The Raptors hosting the Celtics. As they try to, to get back to 500, the Raptors do. On Monday, the Heat hosting the Nuggets on NBA TV. The Jazz hosting the Trailblazers in Utah on the nightcap. And then Tuesday, the TNT doubleheader, you got Nets hosting the Knicks. Fun battle of the, of the Bronx. And then the Suns hosting the Warriors, the top two seeds in the West. That will be happening as I'm probably recording the pod next week if all goes to plan. Other than that, man, we got college basketball. College basketball is pumping and going. As I look at the ra rankings, 
I didn't have a lot of uh, underrated, overrated here. It's pretty early, and it's hard to really put put a finger on these teams as you get so many freshmen. Unlike football, you expect some people to carry over from their teams. A lot of these teams have new players, so it's hard unless you do a lot of offseason studying, which I didn't. Um, Texas burned me. I picked them to win the bracket last year. I don't know if I'm biased towards that or what, but Texas at eight does seem overrated. I don't think they're they're prepared for that kind of, uh, of play. I think Purdue, um, I had Purdue as my overrated from the past week. I, I think that I was very impressed with their win over Villanova, and we'll get into the, that game here in a second. They moved it to three, so we got Zega one, UCLA two, Purdue three. I like those top three teams. I think these are true contenders and are going to be dominant for the rest of the season. Uh, makes me want to look at Purdue's schedule. And obviously Big Ten. Illinois is ranked high. They've been dropping. Michigan's up there. They've been dropping. So, yeah, Purdue, I think, is going to be the the best team in the Big Ten. And they're deep. They got some young youth. They got some size. They got a little bit of everything. I was really impressed with their play against Nova. Um, I do think St. Bonaventure at 16, they move up six spots, is overrated. They had a pretty big win against Marquette. Uh, but I don't think that they're going to be within the top, that high of ranking in the top 25. Um, underrated, I still think Memphis at number nine is underrated. I think that UConn is underrated at uh, 22. And other than that, there's not a lot to be known at this point. Illinois drops um, four spots to 14 as they, they lose again. Uh, Kofi Coburn actually played. So, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see what happens with them. Uh, but recapping the games, nothing that really happened noteworthy Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, heading into Saturday, we had the Cheez-Its Hall of Fame tournament and the Abe Lemons Classic. The first game, Villanova pretty much manhandling Texas 70 or not Texas, Tennessee, um, 71 to 53, just outgridded them. Um, Slater, uh, Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie, all with 14 points for, for Nova and the victory. You know, I didn't know a lot about Purdue coming in, uh, besides Jadane Ivy, who is just a, a fucking athletic, you know, he looks, uh, he has a lot of similarities to job, but bigger. Uh, but they beat North Carolina 93 to 84. A lot of that was Ivy with 22 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. It's a crazy line in college. And Stefanovic, 23 points. He was um, 5 of 11 on three. So he was, he was letting her fly in the victory over uh, North Carolina. And then Dawson Garcia with 26 points, eight rebounds in the loss for the Tar Heels. On Saturday, Stanford got blown out by Baylor. Texas beat San Jose State. And UConn beat Binghamton. Nothing crazy of note there. Which set us up for Arizona upsetting Michigan. Michigan drops to 3-2 and two this early in the season uh, as they look to regain momentum and their offense looks broken. Uh, Purdue beat Villanova 80-74. to 74. Nova up majority of the game. They were only playing really a six-man rotation while Purdue had nine, so the depth got to them. Villanova was led by Justin Moore, who's looking to have a breakout year with 19 points. Uh, Purdue was led by Edie. Um, what's this guy's first name? Zach Edie, the 7'4 sophomore. This kid is huge, 195 pounds. He was just owning uh, Villanova down low, as that's definitely one of their weaker points. And then Tennessee beating North Carolina in the uh, um, losers game, in the consolation game. Tennessee was led by... Santiago Vesovi uh, with 17 points, 9 rebounds. And off the bench, they had 
Zakai Ziegler with 18 points. Meanwhile, the Tar Heels were led by bench play. Wow. The Tar Heels were led by uh, Brady Manick, who had 24 points off the bench, was 6 of 10 from 3. You know, you love you love this tournament play early in the year. You get to see non-conference opponents. I would never see a Villanova versus a Tennessee or Purdue. So seeing how they match up is great. It's great for the coaches to find those weaknesses. And St. Bonaventure um, and the Shriners Children's uh, Classic beat Marquette 70-54. to uh, But again, you know, how good is Marquette? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Heading into this week, yesterday there was – just a lot of lopsided matchups, nothing to note. Besides Illinois getting beat by Cincinnati by 20, Kofi Coburn with 18 and 7, but Illinois, much like Michigan, a very brutal start to the season. They dropped it 2 and 2. But tonight, man, is the big one, the rematch. Number 1 ranked Gonzaga hosting UCLA, the number 2 ranked team. This is going to go down at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. This is the the probably the the best pre-regular season matchup we'll have as these teams are, you know, bringing a lot of talent over from their 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 running um, their teams last year, so it's going to be a lot of fun. What else we got set up for this week is finally some decent matchups. We have 19th ranked Auburn taking on 22nd ranked Yukon, which is big for me as a Big East fan and believing in Yukon to see what they're made of. Um, Gonzaga, another tough matchup on Friday. They, they're hosting Duke in Las Vegas for the Continental Tire Challenge. That'll be a fun game to see what Duke's really made of and if they can hang. And for a lot of the local Seattle people here, one of Duke's best players is on the squad. And um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching. I got to say his name right. Paolo Banchero do his damn thing. Uh, we'll see what they're made of on Friday, heading into the weekend. Um, over the weekend, not really any good matchups. On Monday, nothing. Pretty lopsided. Tuesday, pretty lopsided. So pretty much those those Gonzaga games are what are carrying us over the weekend for college basketball. It's going to be fun. But what's fun is that stove, my fucking hands are hot, man. Shit is happening in baseball. It's happening early. We talked about the potential uh, bargaining agreement being a big reason why things are happening before that December deadline. But awards were announced as well. I made some fat cheddar. Thank you, Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani with the unanimous AL MVP. I don't think there was a surprise there. Wasn't much a surprise for the NL either as Bryce Harper wins his second uh, MVP award for the NL. Trey Mancini and Buster Posey with uh, Comeback Player of the Year awards. Buster Posey, amazing. Uh, you know, crazy to see him retire after winning that award. And then Trey Mancini with the health issues coming back and playing great baseball. Um, the the Giants keeping some, some names back. Not official with Alex Wood, but they're supposedly close to a two-year contract. Officially have signed Deslafani uh, with a three-year $36 million contract. The Angels making moves, baby. They get really good reliever from the Mets as they get Cindergard, then Aaron Loop for two years, $17 million. Um, the Marlins not getting rid of their stud, Sandy Alcantara with a five-year extension. Cy Young Awards, Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray winning the Cy Young for the AL, Corbin Burns winning the NL Cy Young, and then Ichiro going to be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame. 
no surprise there. I mean, we all know us some Ichiro, right? Come on now. And then the Rays spending money, which is unique. But when you got a guy like Wander come in, this is a deal for them. They signed Wander Franco 12 years, $233 million. And it's funny because I had a different opinion on the Tatis contract where a lot of these big long-term contracts with big money have been like the Albert Pujols, the um, Miguel Cabrera, where they're paying for a lot of past production and hope that that will continue. And the age is different. Where now you're signing Tatis, Wander Franco at such young ages, they're almost unproven. I think we all know what Franco can do and he's only going to prove where there's a lot more issues with Tatis. First off, he plays in San Diego, which is a terrible front office. It's not proven. He has injury issues. And really, I don't know if he's like meant for long-term production. So I feel like that was a very high-risk contract. Where here, I almost feel like it's a, it's a, they got this on, on the low. And then the White Sox adding to their bullpen as they get Kendall Graveman. Three years, $24 million. There's rumors of um, Kevin Gossman, Steven Matz, Marcus Stroman. A lot of these big arms expected to be moving before or after Thanksgiving. So I got all I got to say is stay tuned. But don't forget Fueled Supplements. The New Year's are heading. You, you want to get some discounts. You want to get some good supplements for the family. Try to get some health spread. Go to FueledSupplements.com. Use my promotion code Buckets and save while you do it. And you're helping small business. That's what matters most. People helping people. We'll see you guys next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.